How you all doing this morning? You tired? You all right? Yeah? It's good to see you guys. As, I, as you saw Allie on the video, I told you last week or the week before, we're going to be doing stories like this. We call this Renewal Stories. So as we're walking through this Crossing Line series, you're going to hear from people here in our church and what God's been doing and how their lives have been impacted and being a part here at Renewal. And God's been awesome at our church. Over the last month and a half or so, we've had over 40 different people join our church, um, four different baptisms. Yeah, you can give God praise for that. That's awesome. God is... He's moving and he's continually writing this story called Renewal. Um, if you're new with us, I just want to say thank you for joining us. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor here at Renewal Church in Chicago. Now you're probably like, who is this brother who just got up here? That's who I am. I'm Derek Puckett. It's good to meet you. As, as Dan said earlier, fill out one of those connect cards. We'd love to get to know you guys. Put your name on there, your number. I call every one of you all and also pray for you. So if you have prayer requests, just put it on there. Or if you want to serve in our church, put it on there too. We'd love to get you connected in any kind of way possible. Man, Dan kind of me chuck- had me chuckling and laughing a little bit when he said, um, what's your favorite Halloween costume? <laughs> I used to dress up like Dracula every year, you know, just put the teeth, the fake teeth. And then Dan told me that he, he used to be, he dressed up like a clown. Could y'all imagine? I mean, this six foot five guy with a, a clown suit on, y'all. After it, I was already good. But after, if I see him in a clown suit, boy, I might be messed up for life. But, uh, but I think I might get you like a onesie or something, Dan. That, that was a little dude. <laughs> no, um, I hope you guys have been doing well. This weather's been messing me a little bit up with this dreariness, but hey, we're here nonetheless, and I'm going to praise God either way. Um, but it's good to be here with you guys. We've been walking through this series called Crossing Lines, where we've been talking about there are literal lines that divide us. There are differences between uh, a different people and one another. And in order for us to engage one another or do life with one another or love our neighbor, as we talking about in Matthew 22, we talked about that a few weeks ago, we have to cross those lines. We've got to step into relationship with one another. We need to cross those lines and break through it, almost like breaking through a finish line. We see them, but in Instead of just watching and looking at the line and hoping somebody may engage the other person, let's do it too. That's what Jesus calls us to do as Christians. I love Deb's message last week talking about how we need to reach out to the least likely, the marginalized, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the folks that we might not necessarily want to reach out to or that we miss on a day-to-day basis. And she challenged us. I don't know about you, but I was challenged that I need to step out of my comfort zone and cross the line with folks I might not normally do. Deb did an awesome job last week. And this week, we're going to talk about friendship. Yeah, we're going to talk about friendship and why we need friends, the difference between a friend and a neighbor. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open up to John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 12 through 15, but we're going to talk about basically 1 through 15. So that whole first part of the chapter, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you have it, once you stand to your feet. And you say, got it when you got it. I was going to say, I'm going to wait a minute because I haven't heard any got it. So I'm going to wake y'all up a little bit. Wait a couple more seconds until I hear some got it. All right, all right. There's about 120 in y'all here. You know? <laughs> all right. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Here now the reading of God's word, starting verse 12. The text reads, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, we need fellowship. You say that with me? We need fellowship. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask one thing, as I ask each week, is that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may come forward and the folks will see you and not me, Lord. Decrease me in this place so that you may increase. Let your word go forward and fall afresh on your people. Let my words and everything about me be pleasing in your sight, God. We just thank you for who you are. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today, as we continue to dive into this Crossing Line series, we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about what that has to do with crossing lines, because friendships are very integral to our Christian walk. But here's the thing. I think, one, number one, we we don't know how to have real friends. We don't know what true relationships look like or what they take with other people. And much of the problem is because we live in a world that revolves around us. We live in this me-driven world where whether it, we don't want, we, we might not want to step outside of our comfort zone, we may not want to be vulnerable, maybe for fear of being hurt or what somebody might think or say about us. And the truth is, in order for us to have a true relationship with somebody else, we have to be able to seek the betterment of somebody other than ourselves. The other reason why we need to talk about friendship this morning is because I really think sometimes we are hindered from loving our neighbor because we look at our neighbor and think they all need to be our friends. That's not true at all. See, everyone that you associate with or come in contact with, it it shouldn't be your friend. They don't have to be your friend. That's not what loving your neighbor means, and that's surely not what crossing the line means. That's not what we're talking about. Let's clear that up. I mean, you take a look at the verses we've been talking about in this series, Crossing Lines, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, when he says that, love your neighbor as yourself, he's he's not in the company of his friends. He, He doesn't say, love your friends, he says, love your neighbor. Hence, there's a big difference between the two. Jesus in this passage, Matthew 22, is in the company of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These are the guys that are going to kill him. They are not his friends. But yet, Jesus shares his life with them. He shares truth with them. They're not his friends, but they are his neighbors. As a matter of fact, most of the people that Jesus comes in contact with along his journey as he's walking this earth, most of the people are not his friends. Jesus doesn't even consider his disciples friends until the text I just read you in John chapter 15, verse 14. And guess what? This is the night of his death. So it took Jesus three years, three years to consider his disciples friends, the dudes who walked with him every day. He's just now saying, you are my friend. The point that I'm getting at and I'm trying to make here is that everyone we encounter may not be our friends, but that they, st- they still are our neighbors. We should still be able to acknowledge and share a piece of our life with them because they're neighbors. So in all of this, as we enter this text this morning, the question we must dive into and answer is what's the difference between friends and neighbors? What's the difference? See, the reason I think this is an important question today is because 
Some of us in here, we're the type where everybody's our friend. The whole world, everybody's your friend. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to tell you this, but that can't be true. There's no way everybody can be your friend because everyone's different, means that, which means that all things are not in common. And I could probably make a good guess and say that if everybody's your friend, then nobody really knows the real you because now you have to be a different you for everybody because they are different, which now makes you a people pleaser instead of a friend. See, then on the other hand, there, there's some of us that we may be Christian, and because you pay too closely, too close attention to the differences between you and other people, you don't have many friends at all. Or, or there's those of us that are just shy. We, we, we don't want to be vulnerable with anybody. We're waiting for someone to approach us. We're waiting for them to cross the line. We're waiting for them to chase after us. Or, or, or better yet, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been in a relationship before and, and, and someone hurts you. Hear me. True relationships take a willingness to engage someone else, which means there will be differences. There will be hurt and pain sometimes, and it's going to take a whole lot of vulnerability. It's like I asked you a couple weeks ago, how many relationships do you really have that are really deep in your life? I mean, deep relationships where that person doesn't get on your nerves. They don't hurt you sometimes, they don't make you mad. Come on now, some of y'all was arguing on the way to church this morning. I know it's some of y'all in here. How many relationships do you have that, I mean, real deep relationships where that person doesn't get on your nerves? It does not exist, right? I got two people listening. A few weeks ago, uh, I brought a friend of mine in here, and his name was Aaron Brockett. Y'all remember Aaron, pretty white boy, had his hair all slicked back, he'd move around on stage, hair didn't move because it's gelled up, you know, I can talk about him because I don't have hair and that's my boy. <laughs> Love that guy. And, and our friendship is a testament because friendships take time. They're not always easy, they take time, and believe it or not, Myself and him, we, we haven't always been great friends. I mean, it, it, we weren't extremely close at times. I mean, we said some things to one another that hurt, made the other cry or extremely upset at times. See, when I met Aaron, it was on a whim. My wife and I, we were traveling back from uh, Lafayette trying to get back to Indianapolis. And we stopped at Traders Point Christian Church on Sunday because, you know, I was coming back from that horrible Boilermaker country and I, I, had to, I had to get some Jesus in me. I'm a Hoosier, we don't do that stuff. Yeah, I ain't never been to Purdue, honestly. Obviously, huh? Because, yeah. We sat in the balcony of this huge church and I heard Aaron preach. And my wife and I looked at each other and we had tears in our eyes because the word that he brought was, was what we needed to hear. It was exactly what we needed to hear in our souls, in our hearts. We needed a good word. So I went up to him. I was going, I'm going to tell him, man, great job. I love the message today. It was encouraging. It was exactly what I needed to hear. I told him this and he said, thank you, man. Can you do lunch next week? I said, whoa, you don't know me. I'm in a sea full of white people, thousands of them, and you want to do lunch with me? The one black dude, you want to do lunch with me? He's like, yes. We went out to lunch, man. The next week, we hit it off. 
Long story short, I, I left Indianapolis and we moved to, Indian, moved to Memphis and to do a residency program there and I got my Master's of Divinity while we were in Memphis. I was pastoring there. I kept in touch with him the whole time. We would talk on the phone. I came back to his church. We preached sev- I preached several times. I referred some people to his church that are now even on staff. We seem to be getting along just great. But you know when we really became friends? One phone call. Aaron and I were talking about what it would look like for me to come back to Indianapolis and preach and be on his staff and help diversify the church and just be a part of everything. And it sounded real good. Sounded really great. And then we got into the nitty gritty and the details of the conversation and what it would look like. And as I heard Aaron talk about it, it sounded like he just wanted a black guy on his staff. And that hurt me. That hurt me. I took a step back on the phone and I said, look here, Aaron, I love you, but look, man, I'm not not about to be your token black guy on your church staff. See, if you want this thing to work, if you want your church to be diverse, if you want your staff to be diverse, it's going to take me preaching. It's going to take me to be in a position of leadership, not because I just want it, but minorities need to see me and be able to relate to me from a stage. They need to see that there's somebody in a leadership position here that relates to them and looks like them. See, I don't think Aaron really knew what he was saying to me because this really made him upset. He's like, man, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm doing everything to try to make this happen. We ended the phone call abruptly, and I thought I would never speak to him again. I mean, why would this mega church pastor, this, this white guy with mostly wager, uh, white church, why would he want the black guy that just said this, this hard thing to him? Why? Why would you pursue that relationship? Why does he want this? Lo and behold, about two weeks later, he called me and he said, man, Derek, you still want to plant a church in Chicago? I said, yeah. He said, look, man, I know we couldn't work it out here for you come, coming on staff with us, but man, we're behind you 100%. We're going to make sure this happens. We're going to do whatever it takes to get you to Chicago. And family, that spoke volumes to me. Spoke volumes to me because this brother was able to be hurt by me pointing out his ignorance towards me being a black man in society and possibly at his church. And he came back and he pursued a relationship. And that showed me he truly wanted me. He truly was for me. This was year four of us knowing each other. And now we're about eight years in and he and I, we talk all the time. Our kids know each other. Our wives talk to one another. We, we don't just talk about matters of race privately, but we do it publicly. Matter of fact, about three months ago, I was at his church and we're sitting on a stage in front of 8,000 plus white people and more. And, and I said the same story, the story I just told y'all, I told them the same thing. I was not about to be a token black guy at this church. And, and we just went back and forth. We said the same thing over and over again. And the reason we can do that type of, have that type of relationship and exemplify it in front of people is because we, we were willing to go where people would never go. We crossed the line with one another. We engaged one another on a deep level. And now he has my back, I got his. Family, I tell you all of this because friendship is not easy. It's not easy, but when you have a true brother or sister in life, it's a beautiful thing. When they're with you through the ups and the downs, it's a beautiful thing, but it takes time. It takes vulnerability and crossing the line with one another. And see, here's the difference with my relationship with Aaron and 
other men, specifically other white men. Can I be honest with you for a second? Be honest. I was recently asked the other day, while I was teaching on racial idols to a room full of white men, do I ever get tired of being the educated black man that people ask questions about how to break down the racial barrier? Because I, I pastor a multi-ethnic church, they think I have the answer. Do I ever get tired? And I said, no. I said, no, I don't get tired because God has just given me a story to tell that crosses the racial line, but I do get tired when people just call me in to give the so-called antidote to breaking down the racial barrier, but there's no follow-up behind it. There's no relationship that's pursued afterwards because now what you're doing is communicating to me. You really don't care about me. You don't care about me. You You don't really care about black people. But instead, you just wanted me to come in to soothe your conscience a little bit because you tried to understand through one conversation. Can I be honest? I mean, this, then in essence, that makes me feel used. And the problem with this is that, and hear me, this may make some of you all a little uncomfortable, but the problem is that we have a racism issue here in America because of the broken perception of relationship with our neighbors, people that are different than you. And the only way we're able to overcome that or solve it is by trudging through the messiness of racism that has been caused by centuries of white superiority here in our country. See, it's noticing the ignorance, or in other words, white privilege, and say, like Aaron, a white guy, I really want to get to know you. Regardless of it hurting me or my pride, I I really want to get to know you. And hear me, just so we don't get hung up on this whole white privilege word I just said, there is such a thing. Can we be honest? There's such a thing. Whenever you bring a people group over in chains, as slaves, in the bottom of ships, and you treat them like property and dogs for hundreds of years, and then you only give them freedom or equal rights of some sorts because we could still argue whether or not race is still equal or not. But let's just say over the last 40 years, there's been some equality between black and white. But, but here's the problem. Listen, black and white people have lived in this country together since 1619. Friends, in the simplest form, One race, white people have had more privilege because of the freedom and the economical advantages they have had for centuries, as opposed to about 40 years for the black individual. I mean, I just want to be honest. See, in the simplest forms, that's where we get this word white privilege from. And as a multi-ethnic church, this is very important to understand. It's very important to understand as we engage one another, just like Aaron, just like Pastor Luke does with me, and just like many of you all are doing in your groups or at your dinner tables at night. You see, crossing lines and having true relationships is hard. It's very hard, but it's very integral to the Christian walk. Heaven is not going to be divided. 
It's going to be all of us coming together, worshiping Jesus. But that's not here. So in order for us to have a little piece of heaven, it's going to take some work. Hear me. We all need fellowship. We need fellowship. See, but, but here's the thing. Even in those conversations with people that don't, they don't desire a relationship with me, I still consider them my neighbor. They may not be my friend, but they're neighbors. But the ones that follow up, they might become my friend. See, there's a big difference here. You see where the difference is? between the neighbor and the friend, and this isn't just what matters of race. Don't get caught up in just race. This isn't just race. But this is with friendships, period, because if you can't go through the messiness of each other's sin together, then you are not truly friends. That's a neighbor. It's not a friend. Again, there's a big difference between neighbors and friends. See, as Christians, sometimes... We don't know how to deal with the tension of becoming or being someone's neighbor and not their friend. There's a line, and, and hear me, just because you meet them or Jesus tells us to go out and talk to people that are different to us, that does not mean they have to be your friend. I want you to remember this as we walk through this text. Remember this, we need fellowship, we need friends, but that only happens if we love our neighbors first and cross lines. It only happens that way. Look at this text with me a bit in John 15. The cha- this chapter right here is one of the, it's in the farewell discourse. This is what Christians have been calling it forever. It's the farewell discourse that's recorded from chapters 13 to 17 in John, where Jesus has taken his disciples aside. They've eaten the last supper. They're sitting at a table, and he's talking to them on the night that he's about to be captured and killed. And in this chapter, he's telling his disciples, he says, abide in me, and, and he will be with them. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Nobody can bear fruit without being rooted in the vine. Basically, Jesus is saying to his disciples, in order to walk with me or in order to walk through this life and have it be fruitful, it's going to depend on how much you depend on me. Now, now here's the thing, because you may look at this and you may say, well, look, I don't, I don't have to depend on Jesus for everything. I, I got some strength. I can make it through. And I'd say, wait a second, that's not true. Because God made all of us in his image. And Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God wrapped in flesh, which means that nothing that you have or nothing that you've done or achieved is not without Jesus allowing it or causing it to happen. But you still might say, well, I can still do some things on my own. Okay, well, let's dive into scripture. What is this word fruit? What's this word fruit that Jesus is talking about? What does it mean? Now, stick with me, because if you got, haven't got it right now, I'm about to show you the difference between neighbors and friends right here in the text. This word fruit here is an image of good, is for good results. It's an image for good results coming from the life of a believer, which means bringing benefit to the lives of others and advancing the work of God in the world. Hence, very similar to the verses we've been studying in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Just different wording. Jesus is basically saying that when you abide in me, 
the vine, you will bear fruit. In other words, when the believer abides in Jesus, the believer does what Jesus did, which is love their neighbor. See, bearing fruit is bringing benefit to the lives of others and advancing the kingdom. He's not talking about prosperity or your personal benefit right here when he talks about fruit. He's saying, by abiding in me, the fruit of your life will benefit or help others and hopefully advance the kingdom of God. Now notice here, he does not say, abide in me and you will bear friends. No, he doesn't say that. Nowhere in verses 1 through 12 is the word friend mentioned. Here's why. And hear me, it's because the mission of God is not really about you once you know him. It's about you. It's not about you being comfortable in your friendships. No, but instead it's about people living for Jesus and his kingdom advancing by you sharing your life with other people. And hear me, these others, they're not the people that you're always comfortable with. That's not the others he's talking about. It's not the ones that you always like being around. Hence, a chapter later, you look at John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about walking through this life in the world. And he says, it's going to be hard. You're going to be hated because the people hated me. Hence, he's saying that basically as you walk through this life and you live for me, bearing fruit will not always be easy or comfortable because these neighbors might not be receptive or they might be flat out mean to you. But by you abiding in me and still loving your neighbor, you're glorifying God. Bearing fruit is loving your neighbor And by doing so, advancing the kingdom of God, it's by you loving or living your life and and sharing your life with other people. But hear me, that does not mean that all of them will become your friends. Okay, I don't think y'all getting it yet. So look at verse 12. He intensifies this bearing fruit statement by saying, this is my commandment. Now he makes it a commandment. He says, this is my commandment, which is that you love one another as I've loved you. This is another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, I gave up everything when I left heaven to come down here for you all. I'm about to die for you. People are still my enemies, but I'm still going to give up my life. Jesus is saying, I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you which is by believers seeing the line, that line in front of them might divide them, the the line of differences and breaking through it, stepping over that line and loving someone else and crossing those lines. See, this is what Jesus did when he stepped out of heaven. He put a human suit on. He walked down here amongst us with folks that were his enemies, people that did not believe in him. They were sinful. Again, not his friends, but we were his neighbors. See, Jesus is saying, cross the line, which is loving your neighbors. That, that's the fruit in this text. The point is, is that the believer is commanded to love his neighbor and share his or her life with everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what race they are, no matter how much money they make or anything under the sun. But again, you, you, should, you should still share your life with them. Again, though, hear me, they're not your friend, they, they're your neighbor. Does not mean that they're going to become your friend. So you ask, okay, well, Pastor, yeah, I got that. So what makes someone a friend? What makes someone a friend? Look at verse 13. Jesus switches from talking about bearing fruit to laying out criteria for friendship, letting us know there's a difference between 
a neighbor and a friend. Look at the passage with me. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. There's three things here that Jesus says about friendship, three things. Number one, he teaches us in verse 13 that friends give up their lives for each other. Basically saying that a true friend seeks the betterment of someone else even if it means at their own expense. If it's not for their good, they're still seeking the betterment of someone else. Number two, in verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command, meaning true friends believe the same thing. Hear me, it's very hard to have really deep friendships with other people that don't believe in the same religion or have the same faith. There's always going to be something missing that prohibits you from going very deep. There's there's always gonna be something missing. We're going to talk about that a little later. The last criteria Jesus gives is in verse 15. It's him saying that I have been vulnerable with you and shared everything that I know from my father. In essence, saying true friends have to be comfortable with one another and vulnerable with each other. I read this book by the late Dr. Miles Monroe when I was single. It was called Waiting and Dating. Anyone single in here? Go ahead, represent Do a hand wave. There you go. Go ahead. Anybody dating? Represent. There you go. Come on. There you go. I like that. There you go. Awesome book. You want a book? Pick it up. Waiting and Dating by Miles Monroe. I love this book. He takes the biblical principle of Jesus loving others and he gives levels to friendships. There's levels to friendship. He says, you have, number one, acquaintances. You have casual friends. You have close friends. And then you have intimate friends, four different levels. Acquaintances are the folks you may meet once and hit it off, but may not spend much time together, but you have some level of commonality with one another, but you don't spend a whole lot of time together. You you may see each other once a year, but when you see each other, you have a good convo. That's the acquaintance. Casual friends are the ones that you may hang out with every now and then, when you talk, you all hit it off. You, you have st- the same dreams. You may have the same ideals and hopes. I mean, you, you have the same interests. So you hang out together and, and these, these relationships can tend to go a little faster. Then you got close friends. Close friends is similar to casual friends, but close friends can connect on a spiritual level. They can go deeper with one another. They don't just like the same things. They love the same God. See, you actually believe in the same God. You, you, you might have the same acquaintances and casual friends. You, you run in the same circles with one another. But the important fact is that you believe the same thing. This level is often called fellowship. It's often called fellowship, fellowship which is what... We see in Acts chapter 2, 42, you've heard us talk about this verse where the the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and the prayers. They they devoted themselves to the fellowship, being with one another, that community. See, fellowship is important for the believer to grow. We see this in Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this. Look at it with me. 
It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Believers need to have close friends. We need to have fellowship, folks that will walk with us and care for us and hold us accountable, encourage us and challenge us, keep us running after Jesus. Lastly, there's intimate friends, the one everybody was waiting on, intimate friends. This is based upon a commitment to generously invest in one another's lives with the goal of helping each other mature in godly character. At this level, hear me, hear me clearly, there should not be a bunch of people there should not be a whole lot of intimate friends in your life that's it's really not even possible, that, that you should not have that going on in your life. See, one of these people, if you're married, is your spouse. You probably maybe only have one or two of these people, the intimate friends in your life. But hear me, if, if you're married and you, one of them's your intimate friend, she should be or he should be, outside of that, there should be at least one or two of the same sex because there's no way, hear me, they gotta be of the same sex because there's no way to live the biblical picture of a male and female and then have another intimate friend with the same depth of a relationship on the side. I don't think I need to explain that one too much, right? That, that's the same, that opposite sex, I don't think I need to do that, right? But see, I needed to say that because some of you guys are entering into relationships or maybe engaged and you got a whole lot of intimate friends on the side that are opposite sex of you. Look, you're not gonna be happily married for long if you keep those same intimate friends. I'm gonna just tell you right now, that's not, it's not gonna work. They need to drop on down to casual friends, maybe acquaintances, maybe even back to neighbors. <laughs> they, they don't even need to get on board no more. For real. It doesn't work that way. But the real point I'm getting at is that you need intimate friends outside of marriage. You need intimate friends outside of marriage that are the same sex that get you that you're able to, you, you, you could go there with them. They possibly can share, you could possibly share stuff with them that, that'll help you protect your spouse a little bit. Notice I said protect, not lie. There's a big difference. See, you shouldn't lie to your spouse at all. But for example, if you're a man in here and you struggle with pornography, your wife does not need to be your accountability partner. You may think you're just being honest. You may think you're just being open with her, but in the long run, you are hurting her. You're hurting her. Spare her the details, but don't lie. She should know your struggle. She also should know that you have an intimate friend, a guy friend alongside of you that's challenging you, that's encouraging you to run after Jesus. Friends, I'm spending so much time on this intimate level because this is the level we like to put everyone on. Every, we want to go deep with everybody. And what happens is that we tend to get hurt. We get hurt because we find out that someone doesn't care like we do or that they weren't there for us when we needed it. Friends, hear me. We got to do a lot of work discerning the levels of friendship with the people that are in our lives. Everybody's not the same. Every friend is not the same. I mean, you see this with Jesus here in the text. 
You see this with his life. He's got 12 different disciples that are rolling with him, all different walks of life. But even inside the 12, there's three of them that he's closest to, Peter, James, and John. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. They're there when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're the closest ones to him. There are different levels to friendships. This is the problem we have when it comes to dating or marriage. We don't, we don't walk through the levels of friendship first. I mean, you can't go from acquaintances to intimate friends and sleeping together on the first night. I mean, you can, but I, I, I can promise you without God's intervention, it's not going to stay long. Single person, don't be so hasty to get married or get into a dating relationship. Get to know the other person. I mean, be acquaintances first, then casual friends, then escalate to close friends, then get engaged and married before you really get all into the intimate stage. You notice I said that before the intimate stage? It's a journey. Friendships take time. This is also the problem, some of us, why we can't keep a job. We think we can talk to our boss any type of way because he or she is so laid back, they're cool and calm and collective, and we hang out. We, they're relaxing, so on the job we're cool, but as soon as they say something that you don't like or tell you to do something, you want to get mad. I thought we was friends. What happened? Let me free you up. Let me free you up, leader person at your job right now. Let me free you from this miscommunication and this problem. No matter how cool or laid back your boss is, he or she is still your boss. So even if they start chilling, even if they start, they start talking, as long as you're at work, they're still your boss. Y'all hang out cool outside of work, cool. But, but as a for matter of fact, if you're outside of the job, they're still your boss. So keep your boundaries. That way you don't get hurt or get emotionally all involved in this thing. Respect your boss and don't blur the lines even if he or she does. Friends, my, my point in all of this is that friendships take time. They're essential to your walk with God. They're essential. And as I said in the beginning, the first step to friendship is loving your neighbor, which may escalate into a true friendship, but that doesn't mean it will. But hear me, that should not stop us from loving one another. We're going to get hurt emotionally. We're going to get taken advantage of sometimes. I mean, but here's the thing, Jesus had all of that happen to him and even more when he came down to this earth, but he still chose to die for you and I. We all desire true friendships and we need them. We need them, but don't mix up the call to love your neighbor with trying to make everyone your friend. Love your neighbor and those that are different, and if friendships happen, great. But if not, at the very least, what you're doing is being obedient to Jesus' commandment, to love your neighbor. See, true friendships take vulnerability. Jesus shared his life with the 12 disciples that were with him. They gave, he gave him everything his father gave to him. 
And the disciples gave up everything for him, their livelihoods. They even gave up their lives to the point that 10 of the 12 of them died a martyr's death for Jesus. And family, here's what I really don't want you to miss as we end this today. Hear me. Holding on to Jesus' commandment to love our neighbors is not only what Jesus calls us to do as believers, but when we, when we do this, we gain friends. But guess what? Even better than that, by holding on to his commandment, we grow more intimately close to Jesus. And then as the text says, he calls us friend. And I don't know about you, but I do, I want to be called a friend of God. I want to be called a friend of God. All he says is obey my commandment to love one another. Friends, hear me, let us continue to love our neighbor and each other. We need fellowship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.